listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Uh, hello, hello. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. Dun, dun, dun. Um, that, one, that one was definitely a, uh, a game show host. We yeah, can, we can give you that as your new right. title. I did. Mm-hmm. I did feel yeah. that. Like, oh, hey, what a wonderful crowd. <laughs> price, it's no more than 99 cents. I think that's what you have to go with, with the price is right, right? One dollar. One dollar. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is the Inclusive AF podcast, and we have a very special guest today. And so without further ado, Wendy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump right in. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Wendy Goldberg. I'm the executive director of the Tri-Faith Initiative in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I use she, her pronouns. And um, the Tri-Faith Initiative is an ambitious experiment in the middle of the heartland to uh, figure out whether proximity matters in fostering relationships and understanding. Um, it's the, the initial project started with Uh, the co-location of a church, a mosque, a synagogue, and an interfaith center, and working to advance interfaith relationships and understanding. And we've learned an awful lot about what uh, works in terms of collaboration and um, vulnerability and mess. (laughs) And And mess. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And would love to, uh, you know, understand, obviously, you know, this is a diversity, equity, and inclusion podcast. And so, uh, you know, we would love to just kind of hear what, what do you all, like, how are you thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the work that you do? So, um, you know, the, the idea is founded in what does it mean if we bring together people um, who have similar interest? And we, we started looking at um, uh, creating a neighborhood um, that everyone belongs, um, but it was inspired by um, three faith communities who wanted to create um, this community of hope um, inspired by their faith traditions. And um, as we've come to understand what inclusion means and we've lived through a or we're living through a pandemic and coming to understand and name the systems that uh, create um, oppression and marginalized people, um, our work has grown into a lens to look at um, how is religion in in a very broad broad spectrum of understanding um, impacting diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, For many people, um, spirituality, religion, tradition, ritual um, have impacted their identity, have been um, core to how they understand or ask really important questions in the world. And um, for some people that has resulted in trauma, for some people that has resulted in beauty and connection and belonging. And um, we want to invite conversation about knowing each other um, and hearing each other's stories in new ways um, so that we can create a community of belonging. And I, I think it probably could be beauty and trauma. I think that like when you're speaking in faith, there's moments where it can be beauty and trauma at, at the same time, which is probably a surreal experience i know personally like they they always say like the old um you know the most segregated moment is like 11 o'clock on sunday and it always was like that in my um community and i'm I'm like the way that i like that you're talking about it versus proximity because a lot of that has to do with where you're where you live and other other types of groups and your understanding, and then it can also it be affected by the state that you live in. Like I live in Texas versus living in South Florida, completely different experience when it comes to people's faith and community and, and coming together. Um, I, I'd like to back probably up even before that, but what inspired, I heard a little bit more about, about how that was inspired, but I'd like to know how you personally came to this work. So 
Um, in 2001, when 9-11 happened, there were some members of the synagogue that I belonged to um, who showed up at a mosque, um, local mosque, uh, in solidarity. They didn't show up with grand gestures of words or um, solutions. They literally showed up to stand shoulder to shoulder with some um, members at the mosque to say no harm should come um, as a result of some characters who use or have hijacked the words that you also use. Um, and um, as a result of that, we came into relationship and dialogue, really traditional potlucks, conversations and whatnot with the Jewish and Muslim community in Omaha. In 2006, I was president of the Reform Congregation in Omaha Temple Israel, and uh, we knew that we wanted a a new location. Uh, Temple Israel was established in Omaha in 1871, and we have a very deep relationship with interfaith work. Um, we actually have uh, documented that we were in relationship with standing there, um, and, and our founders were. So, um, so this is not new to uh, Reform Judaism or to Omaha, Nebraska, or to this particular congregation. Um, and there was a business case. We were looking for a parcel of land um, that was uh, 10 or 15 acres, and we couldn't find or acquire that parcel of land because they were being sold in much larger parcels. And so what if we were um, intentional about our neighborhood and we invited some of the friends that we had made in the um, Muslim community to look for land with us? We knew that they were also looking to establish a presence um, in a new neighborhood in Omaha. And then the whole Abrahamic tent thing came about and we we're like, well, if we're going to have the Jews and Muslims, we should probably invite the Christians. And that became particularly complicated. Omaha at the time was 26% Christian, um, Catholic, sorry. And um, we invited the Catholic diocese to come on this walk with us and they declined um, for a host of reasons. And um, one of which is it's risky business. You know, they, they, um, they had a lot on their plate and they were in a leadership transition and, and I understand it wasn't good for them. They've become good partners since, but not literally on the commons. Um, we asked the Episcopal Diocese of Nebraska to walk with us um, to look for land. They joined us. They were with us nine years. They actually um, purchased one of the parcels of land when we did our land acquisition in uh, 2011. And um, ultimately, they had to say that uh, the religious landscape in the Episcopal Diocese was shifting in a way that they couldn't start a new church. Um, and they went to a congregation, a United Church of Christ congregation who had uh, a deep history of interfaith work in Omaha. That congregation did a beautiful discernment and voted to join the Tri-Faith Initiative and take over the Christian presence um, and, and purchase the land from the Episcopal Diocese. And uh, and my, my personal journey is I've changed hats just all the time. And what a great lesson in learning how to take hats on and off and looking at perspectives from different vantage points. So as a lay leader of the congregation, then I joined the staff of the congregation. All along, I was um, on the board of the Tri-Faith Initiative. And um, in, in between, I did some personal improvement, got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, um, and then uh, had an experience in co-location um, with the Child Welfare Organization in Omaha that is the co-location of uh, the Child Welfare Organization, the Department of Health and Human Services, and the Omaha Police Department. What a beautiful opportunity to say, where do our missions overlap and how do we advance common service together? Brought that uh, with me when I was invited to um, serve as associate director of the Tri-Faith Initiative. And um, unfortunately, um, or maybe fortunately, um, that invitation ended very quickly because um, my predecessor of uh, executive director was accused of me too, five weeks into my um, wow. invitation in. Um, and there were uh, 18 allegations that followed. Um, there's, you know, that speaks to the, the uh, issue that we have in inclusion for women and amplifying voices of women and having safe spaces and this whole whisper network thing that goes on, who holds people accountable in these collaborations. Um, and so that was a, a pain point um, for us in, in, as an organization and for me as a leader and also an incredible opportunity because it boosted me into the seat of executive director. Um, the fast forward on that was um, I had 
all this trust with this board. Um, and yet we had gone through so much pain. Um, we rewrote the strategic plan. Um, and on March 10th of 2020, uh, our, my board uh, named me executive director, uh, approved a new strategic plan with a bigger vision. Um, and all of our staff, all of our clergy, and um, all of our board were exposed to COVID because we are pioneering. Holy um, moly. On March 10th, 2020, um, we just got right in. Wow. Yeah. That not funny but i was we were just talking about i i was talking about some things during the marketing we were talking to some people about transformative marketing practices and they were talking about how right at the beginning of COVID, like they started at april and i just was like wow i remember march of 2020 it's almost like you feel like a bomb had been dropped but to have everybody be exposed to COVID, that had to be that was a really scary time yeah too. You know, it was also a really great reality moment to say, what are you going to do with this moment? Yes. Um, we had a fundraiser scheduled, an in-person fundraiser uh, with Priya Parker and the Art of Gathering. Yes, and, we have uh, that book. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. If we you love her. her. Yeah. If you <laughs> haven't read it, read it. Um, and uh, you know what happened? We, we canceled our event because we couldn't have an in-person event. We pivoted. We had the event with Priya Parker on April 3rd. Priya Parker did the event virtually. We had 1,006 people show up. Now, that was a win. Um, Priya Parker was in New York at the time. She literally, you know, think about now we're talking April 3rd. That's when there's like morgue trucks on the streets of Manhattan and everybody at home not understanding whether their bandwidth is working and their kids are at home and they don't know how to do that thing. Priya Parker did that event with us from her car, right? Wow. Um, and like all of that means, what does this mean for us to have a global network of support? We were able to increase our network nearly instantly, we were able to reach an audience that we didn't previously had access to, and we were able to amplify the voice of someone in crisis. And we, I think that's one of the things that, at least one of my takeaways in learning in that moment, it's like you, you have to, like if we're all gonna be in this together and started recognizing our communities and, and various communities, if we live there or not, and recognizing that you're part of a community and, one of those communities for some is that faith-backed community. I'd, I'd love to know, and this might be too broad of a question, but uh, tell me something that you've learned that has invigorated and like energized you through some of this. I think the most important thing I've learned is it's messy and messy is beautiful. Um, and that, you know, I, I can talk I'm about- I'm so glad you said that. You're talking about the best right now. <laughs> um, I think that our lives are messy. I think they've always been messy and we haven't had permission to talk about that. You know, that when we say to people, when I as a supervisor say to my staff, um, are you okay? Am I asking them, are you okay? Or are you gonna get your work done? Mm. Right. When I say to people like um, this is an experiment, what I mean is we should be living this moment at a risky enough edge that we're not sure if we're getting it right. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. We should be bold enough in our ambitions to show up for and with each other um, to be vulnerable. And sometimes that's going to hurt. And a, a lot of times the person who you think is going to be the leader or the answer isn't coming with us to the end of the journey they're they're leaving and someone else is going to have to show up and be a guide or be the voice or an ally that doesn't know how and might use the wrong words or make a mistake we interviewed a guy yesterday for a job he answered the first interview question he answered it 
awesome, right? We asked a follow-up question and he said, you know what I just realized? I was given the question in advance and I read the question wrong. And the answer I just gave you was off the cuff. And I want to hire this guy because the first thing he said out loud was, I made a mistake. Who says that? That's phenomenal. And we actually, we just did an interview earlier this week with uh, Erica Hines and she had a, a line that she used and Jackie and I did let her know we're stealing it. Um, so it's okay that we share it with you right now. And obviously everyone will be hearing it, but humble and ready to fumble was the saying <laughs> that she used. And I think that's like the ability to fumble, make a mistake, acknowledge it and keep going and that journey that we're on because it is a journey especially in the intention to advance towards equity and belonging right mm -hmm. like i i have learned like one of uh, another beautiful learning point back to your question before was reading atlas of the heart by brene brown and her uh, invitation in to say i got empathy wrong um, I will never walk in the shoes of a single black mom or whatever the other intersectional identity that I want to put out there in this moment. I, I will never understand that experience. And why does that make me so uncomfortable? What's my job and accountability in that to amplify that voice, believe it to be true and see how I'm held accountable? That's hard work. Yes. And I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to mess that up. I can tell you, I know I, I'm going to speak for Katie, even though people say I'm not going to speak for other people. I am. But me and Katie are going to speak. for. But I know as soon as you decide, like when you get in this work around diversity, equity and inclusion, you, you have to make a commitment to getting things wrong and believing people, because there are many things that you 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 can't you couldn't imagine. And as soon as you think that you imagine it, people often that they stop their learning and you have to realize that you couldn't possibly know what this person is going from. And you're, you're learning more and accepting people's truth is a big part is accepting that this is your truth and in, in listening. Okay. So now let's talk about truth, capital T truth for faith communities. Mm. You know, what, who has the right to speak on behalf of all of Christianity, right? In this moment, That's right. no one, that's right. Right. Who has, you know, uh, when, when we start a program and what we want our clergy to say first, uh, you know, and what we want all humans to say, but it's harder to get clergy to say is I am not speaking for all of said religion. I am speaking as an individual um, about said religion, and it is not a monolith. There's no two people who have had the same faith journey and we're struggling when we look at, um, you know, so one of the founding principles in the Tri-Faith Commons is no proselytizing. Mm. Um, we, you were invited into the work with us with an understanding that um, we are all gonna walk this walk differently and that's beautiful and that there's more than one way. And in the reality that we hear in the news in the last couple of weeks is, you know, we're losing our religious freedom and our autonomy of choice. And, you know, my religion, Judaism, believes in choice. Um, and why does a different religion get to dictate uh, the law right. of our country? That's a problem for me. Yeah. And when you co-opt your religion into that means all of my beliefs, and then now I'm associated with you with that label and and people you know you can't speak for for everyone I mean, I think we're now seeing it that it's it's um it's a trying time it's a very trying time in trying to suss out that capital T truth and finding out what that means for you because that a lot of that depends on the message that you you are getting and the people that you you know if you're just what your sources are, what are you using as your sources to gather those opinions? You know, and I love that. I'd ask a question back to you. Um, you know, I'm finding that there's this misperception that within the black community, even using the word African-American, um, mentions that you have no understanding what the range of identity, ethnicity, uh, lived experience is 
Um, and and when you're saying I you know I want to be in relationship with the black community, again, not a monolith. Well, yeah, because I'm like, well, you don't mean me. That's my answer. <laughs> I also say that when people say, oh, bring your whole self. I was like, you don't want my whole self. Trust me. <laughs> you know? Why is that? Tell me more about that. I want to know why you don't want to bring your whole yeah, self or why I don't want to know your whole self. I think a lot. Well, some people do. Maybe a Wendy gets a pass, you know, other people that we have and we can have these conversations. But, you know, um, I think one time. I, uh, I, I post, I posted like, I'm not your black friend, like, <laughs> because that, and that's why I'm like, you don't want to know me because unless you're ready to get your feelings hurt, because if you were going to, because I'm, we're going to have those real conversations and, but also in doing this work, it's understanding how, how we view the white community and the assumption that we can make about what the way somebody thinks without getting to know those people and so because it doesn't make sense to say I want to know everybody as a part of that community you know like what are you really trying to know and that was something that was really um telling as I was growing up and getting into this work and I would be like when we first started seeing people, especially in the workspace, saying that we want to hire people from underrepresented communities, they really wanted to hire like broken people that had a broken existence within those communities. And um, my oldest play was going through like um, filling out for scholarships. And then it was like, this was for black students. And I was like, Come here, I gotta punch you in the face. And they were like, why, mom? I was like, because you've lived too privileged of a life. You're never gonna get a scholarship this way. What are you gonna say? You spent every birthday at Disneyland, but you don't have enough money for college. Like, that's not gonna be, that's not compelling. And so that's what you're finding out. People, it's the white savior complex and not wanting to get to know me. Like, you're trying to fix me, and I don't need fixing. Yeah, we just had a, a conference on race, religion and social justice, and we had a woman from a prominent area of Omaha stand up and say, you know, to this panel of black uh, spiritual leaders, um, you know, like, how do we be in deeper relationship? You know, we have a campaign for you. Um, and the leaders were like, yeah, no, we're not looking for you to fix us. This is not That's a right. savior you know conversation this is about what how are we going to collaborate you know if you see us as a partner we're in if you want to do it for us find another <laughs> right yeah it's important it's really important and I, I think that's the piece that is sometimes missing and you know jackie you used the language of underrepresented people and and that wasn't the language that they were using it was minorities it was that's right. Uh, the you know marginalized and and some of these words that were definitely the connotation was less than not equal to not you know no conversation around justice or equity it was we have to bring them up from the ghetto from the whatever the word the language was and i think that's a piece also that people have struggled with because it's exactly what you're saying wendy this isn't a i'm better than and i'm going to fix this group it's we're all trying at this thing called life and how do we come together and just do something great and and i i i do want to dig in not to shift the conversation but a little bit shift the conversation because i would love to talk you know obviously the last few weeks have been very hard um the last few years have been very hard but i think you know with some of the decisions that have come down and the uh connotation that you know the united states is a christian nation and I, I would love to just get your thoughts on that conversation and kind of, uh, you know, as you are bringing these different religions together, what are they saying and how are they talking about this and what are the conversations going on? Yeah. So, whew, that's a big question. Sorry. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. And I would also <laughs> like you to solve. Uh, and if, yeah. If, if, and if, and if, so you know i'm not a legal scholar um <laughs> and i'm a super opinionated woman right you know so so you know so 
take what I say with a grain of salt. I am, you know, I'm, I'm not an official. I'm, I'm speaking to you as Wendy Goldberg, who has a lot of passion about some of these things, and and I'm learning. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey of continual improvement. Um, and and so a little bit towards that journey. So, um, following January sixth, the mess that happened there, um, the we invited um, a couple of speakers to come talk about white Christian nationalism. And um, we posted this on our website uh, that we were had invited these two authors who, you know, um, uh, are deeply knowledgeable um, on the topic and really had an understanding of something they'd been paying attention to before the rest of us saw all those signs um, at the riots and watched what happened. Um, and uh, and, and by signs, I mean religious presence. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I got calls saying, um, can you just say nationalism? You can, can you take the white and Christian part out? And I and and these and these people were influencers, people I'm I need to listen to, people I need to care about. Um, their voices matter in our movement. And I said no. Sometimes no is a really hard thing to say. And um, we hosted the event and um, we got some pushback. Um, similarly, um, for our grand opening, we curated a play called One More Chair. I'd love your audience, it's available on YouTube to watch it, but it, it's a play that happened in the middle of a pandemic on Zoom of eight brave souls coming together to have a conversation about their intersectional identity. And in the play, uh, the progressive Christian person is black. And um, many people who watched the play were unable to share their Christian identity with the person who was black. Um, now there's all kinds of questions between these two realities is we are just opening ourselves to understand intersectional identity. We are, unpacking the uh, social construction of race um, and our understanding of that. And then next to it, we as a country have held so dear these beliefs that we call secular that are really, and we don't have the names, the, the tools to name those things or to take back the words like sacred or holy from others within each of our religious movements and new religious movements who wanted to find them differently than we do. And we don't even have safe spaces to talk about this because we only talk to people we agree with, myself included. You know, I grew up honoring sameness. And when we look at a spectrum of multicultural understanding, minimizing difference is the middle of the goal. In, in, and looking at saying we're all Abrahamic and Kumbaya is not our end game. And tolerance is on the negative side of that. You know, and a lot of people we know around religious um, difference, in particular around the issues of praying with kids in sports or um, uh, women's autonomy to their own body. The, these are issues that are deeply personal and religiously grounded and very hot. And, and we don't have the tools to be curious about people who understand these things differently than I do. I'm guilty. And I'm looking for places where I can increase my curiosity and understanding for people who have had a different experience. I had a beautiful conversation with a man this week who is a reverend, who is absolutely feels his prayers have been answered that there will be less abortion. I'm not looking for more abortions. I'm looking for women to have autonomy over their bodies. But the story he told me was about himself as a teenager impregnating a woman who aborted their 
uh, fetus, and he holds great pain for that. He holds great pain that he didn't have a voice in that decision. He holds great pain that he contributed to that pain for her, and that he holds great pain that males in his community have not helped men understand their role in sexuality and the outcomes of that. Now, that was a beautiful conversation that I had. And we disagree on every single legal component. And I connected with him beautifully as a human being. I don't have enough of those experiences in my life. Dang, I didn't even think about, like, I've been hearing it. My dad um, was a reverend growing up. I heard about it, but I ne I didn't even think about what the impact was when, especially most recently, when you're talking about like January 6th and what were founded and the things that people are saying about what this company, this country is founded on of the millions of people that they excluded by having that statement. You know, like I've always, it's one of those things where I always knew I didn't belong regardless. Like I knew it's like people are like looking at your proximity to power and all of these situations and with, with your own privilege and your identity and your proximity to power, never recognize that I utilized Christianity as a proximity to power to al allow me to get into those spaces. It's like I was today years old when I thought about it. And that must be feel, I mean, you know, as if it's not, I'm not going to use the word scary, but as we're, as we are all kind of like rattled and trying to find our places, you know, oh, and by the way, we're going to go into recession soon. So, you know, we'll just, <laughs> you know, all of the things that are happening, never thought about it. So Christian privilege in the workplace is a really interesting piece. You know, the work that we do, people, as you said, people come to their faith institution one hour a week, that Sunday morning, Saturday, Friday, whatever, you know, diff different faith traditions, different. But if we're going to meet people where they are to advance interfaith relationships and understanding human, the circle of human concern, we need to meet people in schools, in prisons, in their workplace, in healthcare. Um, these conversations about how religion is core to people's identity and what that means at end of life, what that means. I, I was um, speaking at a conference in Chicago and I came down the stairwell because of uh, because I was avoiding the elevator COVID thing. And um, in the stairwell, I found a man doing his prayers. He was an employee of the hotel. We make space for people to go take a cigarette break. Okay, they call that's how they find their centering, right? And when this person is looking to center themselves, it doesn't take any longer than a cigarette break. He's doing it in the stairwell. And and I think that, so. I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna probably say something. You know, we have always been taught. I think you know us of a certain generation. We've been taught. You know, you don't talk about politics you don't talk about sex you don't talk about religion at the dinner table at work whatever add and mental so, health to that list I, amen yes 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 absolutely and i think that's one of the pieces too that's so interesting is it, it's exactly what you're saying that so we're not going to provide a prayer space but there is that balance as well because you do have to look at that the fringe unfortunately you know and, and COVID changed those rules COVID changed I, those rules we, with vaccinations and masking breaking along lines of religious and political lines we have permission i grant you permission i grant this country permission to talk yay! about religion and politics in the workplace you have yeah. to you have to and no, our it, leaders it, need to lead with vulnerability our leaders need to say i believe this or i'm hurting in this way or i'm needing this they need to model it I, absolutely and, and so yeah that's kind of where i'm going is that you know we we had this shift in how do we protect folks who don't want to talk about those things or who aren't comfortable talking about those things 
and folks that maybe are on the fringe that are wanting to talk about it in such a way that it's very polarizing. And how do we bring people back to that center of let's have a conversation? Because the other part, and you both know this very well, like these are uncomfortable conversations. These are hard conversations. And, and it can feel not like an attack, but you know, as if there is some affront to who you are as an individual because of whatever your faith might be or whatever your beliefs might be. And so it is that it's just an interesting time to be in the workplace. And again, I want to name some things we've done wrong. We've done the D December dilemma wrong. We, we, if you make Christmas blue and call it a holiday party and give everyone Christmas off, it's still Christmas. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. But if you create a calendar of awareness that includes religious traditions and observances across a spectrum of understanding, have your red and green Christmas, put up your tree, decorate your cubicle, all the things, but also realize that during Ramadan, don't have your staff party. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Mm -hmm. You know, we're... What does that mean for someone who's fasting? How does would that create a culture of inclusion? There, there, there are a host of things that, that business communities can do better to invite people um, to feel welcome in the workplace. And there's, a, there's I, I don't like the business case because I think the heart for this is more important. However, if you're employing a diverse group of people Target is an example that does an incredible job with this. If they appreciate religious diversity and have an interfaith or, or religious employee resource group, you can also re, uh, use that resource as a business resource group. You know, there's a lot of buying potential for the Muslim community in the, in the United States. What does it mean for Target to understand what it would mean to sell a hijab or halal food? There's an opportunity here right? Not only to support your employees in an employee-centered uh, experience, but, you, you know, there's a, there's a client base here. And the same in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a piece also that people are still trying to get right. And, or some people, some companies are trying to get right. And I think that's the piece that, like, I work very closely with the LGBTQ group here in, in Arizona. And one of their main things is like the buying power of this community is in the billions of dollars. And yet so many organizations ignore them or have lawsuits against them to not be able to, you know, to not have to serve them, that kind of thing. And, and it is just this, what a waste from, you know, using the business case only. And I agree with you. It's also that heart piece where, denying someone's identity denying someone like who they are and what they believe and what they think and how they love all of those different things it is just such a challenge and it is just it, it's interesting to see the groups and the companies that are doing it correctly and then it's also interesting to see the companies that are ignoring it or not doing it correctly and there's no longer the space of being able to ignore it or do it incorrectly you have to do it right and I think that's the thing that people are struggling with. Yeah, I, I had a recent conversation with a, a local business here who um, has chosen not to sign any of the kind of diversity pledges that our chamber and such are, are suggesting. And I I realized, you know, their, their employee base is, is uh, really diverse. Their leadership team is not. And they don't have a clear enough understanding of what a path to change that is, that signing said pledge would not be authentic, right? So I, I think there's actually something kind of beautiful about a leader who's honest enough to say, 
I'm not just going to put my name there just to put my name there. If I'm not going to be able to do the work or I don't know how to do the work or how what it's going to mean to us, then I need to pause and take this slowly. We all need to remember it took us 400 plus years to get into the deepest, darkest hole we could possibly find. And our path out is long. And it doesn't mean that I have patience. I'm not trying to say that I don't think we need to find a urgency here. We do, but we need to get it right, not just get it done. I, I think you can be, I think you can be slow to develop your why, but I think you need to be fast on making things right where you can. Like we can't say, oh, we're not gonna do equal salaries because hold on a second, let us figure out exactly how we got here. No bullshit. Like you can totally just let's make sure that's fair across the board. But yeah. the why and the statement that you're creating does need to be handled with everyone in mind. And that can't come from one person from a knee-jerk reaction. And I think that's what that's what we we say in understanding. Like you have to like like the why might come slowly, but some of the action items absolutely can take place. Quickly. I support you. Thank you. For that. <laughs> you know, let's get let's start this healing. And as we as we go on that journey, as we go on that journey, there's pieces that are, are yeah. simple. But I think now there's just so much. Plus, you live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is has its own different ecosystem. I, I, I laughed. It probably, I, we talked about Omaha and I thought it was really, I thought it was funny. Probably they didn't, it was really funny. I had somebody from Omaha that was like, you know, we invite people to come to Omaha. We, you know, when we recruit and we're looking for diversity and inclusion, and then we offer to pay to relocation and um, they ne never stay. And I was like, Relocation to Omaha? I was like, you just told me you recruit from HBCUs and you re you want them to come to Omaha when all of the majority of HBCUs, Texas, Florida, Alabama, and you're asking them to come to Omaha like they're going to get like, you know, sickness from being at that elevation. Frostbite. Number Frostbite. one, <laughs> never have experience that the foods are different, the cultures are different. And and I was like, you know, there's girl, you need to come to business. Omaha. You have a, you, have, you, it, it's time for you to come here. We're well, not so backwards. Backwards. Well, it's no, but cold. I'm just like, no, like, I don't want to even like, I'm just saying it's a different community. She said, the people are so nice here. If like people will mow your grass. And I said, do you know what happens if a stranger would mow your grass in Texas? That one's <laughs> not going to end well. Like that doesn't like understanding yeah. the language of what, what is attractive to me? that they were giving the people that they were trying to recruit to Omaha. I was more thinking it's the same as people are coming. Oh, well, you know. Yeah, Omaha's kind of yeah. like the Austin of Texas. You know, it, the, the reality is, you know, Omaha had a blue dot more than once in a presidential election. Um, Lincoln also very progressive. And then there's an opportunity for us to bridge difference between rural and urban, which is as similar of a divide um, as you know, many of the others that we've spoken about today, but open invitation to Omaha. You just let me yes, know coming. I've been to Omaha and I fully enjoyed my time in Omaha. Correct. <laughs> I loved it, but there well, different, different, like, let's understand how, what do we need? What are we showing? What are we telling people? And what's my understanding? You know, they don't, they don't teach me about the reality of places, <laughs> how to have public education. <laughs> I, I think we need to go. I think we that. need to go on a road trip. Jackie, we need to go on a road trip to go see Joe and Wendy and in Nebraska. But we're I also right. Katie and I are willing right now to go any place where it's not 100 degrees too. Yeah, we'll, that is we'll true. start with Omaha. Well, to, don't come today not because today. it's 100 today. degrees today. Um, today. <laughs> well, we're going to have to plan this this carefully. Um, yeah, no, you know, Omaha is uh, an incredibly generous town. Um, there's been, uh, you know, a lot of people who have been um, very successful in business um, and in community building. And the fact that the Tri-Faith Initiative, that is something that does not exist any place else in the world, only exists in Omaha, Nebraska, is a testament to what is possible. And I, I really believe that um, people are going to need to look to places like the Heartland um, for examples um, of 
of newness, right? We, we all need hope. Yes, we need to name the harm um, and, and, and we need to heal, um, but we also need to maintain hope. And, you know, I, I, I think that Omaha is doing some really exciting things, um, whether that is um, in partnership and collaboration like the TriFaith or the other partners that we have. Um, we're really excited. We're gonna host um, our first ever United We Walk. Um, and it's it's a walk for to signal inclusion in Omaha. And we're, we're thrilled to know that the faith community across Omaha, across Nebraska, in addition to our partners, um, in the LGBTQ community, in in the the communities of Omaha that are more highly populated with the Latino community or the African American community, are all really excited to walk with us. And and how do we do that? It's not performative. We're also That's creating right. opportunities to say how before this walk are we going to deepen our relationships with each other and make sure that we're ready to walk together and how after it are we going to have programs to continue to deepen our partnerships and relationships this is not a one and done thing but really another example to the world that we need to show up for and with each other on a regular basis i love it and I love the language that you're using of relationship and partnership. Like that's that's, that's exactly everything. right. Yeah. So yeah. Wendy, we are we are nearing the end of our time together, and I would love to hear what are what is one or one or two things that you want to make sure our audience hears from this conversation. I want to remind everyone that um, belonging is an opportunity to invite people into a conversation and to hear their story and to treat them with all their humanity and with curiosity and openness. And that is the only path I see to a more cohesive human condition. Similarly, I think that we have to embrace the mess of the chaos, that it's okay for it to be sloppy, it's okay to make mistakes um, as long as your intention is warm, right? And and uh, when you make a mistake, um, to own it um, and and to say, um, help me understand, seek to be curious, um, and and to learn from and with each other. Um, I think the future is bright. Awesome. Yeah. Jackie, what you got? I'm going to Omaha. I want okay. people to know to open their bubble. They're like, there's places that are doing good work and we're not going to get through this alone. And we, I think people get their inclusion work within their own bubble and need to expand the bubble. And I want people to look broader than their comfort bubble that we're creating in the movement of belonging and inclusion go to Omaha or look in the heartland or go someplace else and let's find what can work for all of us and remember that we're trying to include all of us and we might not have the whole story in our communities. That was like 13 things, but you get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think for me, it's Wendy, you know, the story that you shared about having, you know, being in conversation with someone that maybe has a different belief system than you around abortion or, you know, the autonomy of women's bodies. And like, those are the conversations I think that are also so interesting to have and that we need to be having to, to take that different perspective of why do you think that way? Or what is it that is compelling you to feel like this is the right answer and having those open conversations dialogue. And, and it can still be okay at the end of the conversation to say, I still disagree with you but there's a respect there and there's still that partnership and that relationship that there is a respect because you're having that open dialogue. And, and I think that's something that's definitely missing that we all need to be focused on. So yeah. Start, I, with, I your, that start with your family. I, uh, I, I no. want us to remember that <laughs> there's not like one of us who's just scared to death to go to yeah. Thanksgiving this year. Right. Yeah. It's, 
it's going to be hard, right? Mm -hmm. And and we are all having that tension. And whereas uh, Amanda Riley wrote a book about uh, high conflict, and the beautiful thing that she uh, differentiates between high conflict and healthy tension is that high conflict is stagnant. Healthy tension means there's still a conversation. And when we're talking about the autonomy of women's body, I want theirs to still be movement. This conversation mm -hmm. has not ended. That's right. And we are in a phase of healthy tension and we need to move through it. We are not in high conflict. We cannot be in high conflict because I will not stand that this is the end of this story. Amen. <laughs> I think that's where we end this. Uh, I like Wendy. Yeah, Wendy, no, I, 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 yes, we cannot let this be the, the end of the conversation. That's spot on. Um, thank you for taking the time truly, you know, we, we appreciate these conversations. And I think, you know, for our listeners, it's always good to just be hearing from folks with, you know, different perspectives or things that we maybe haven't thought about, especially in the HR community, especially as leaders. So, um, this is how we get better. This is how we grow. So thank and you for I, taking the time. Thank you. And I, I want so badly to just keep talking. We just have been having some really, really great gifts. And I'm just like, you know, I want so badly to have coffee with Wendy. So when I come into town, will you have that coffee with people that have more coffee? Looking when, forward yeah. When we come to Nebraska. All right. There's someone at my door, so I have to go. Uh, All right. Thank you for thank joining you. us. This is the Inclusive AF Podcast. I'm Katie Van Horn. And I'm Jackie Clayton. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either she's wendy and i'm beth and together we host fruit loop serial killers of color a true crime podcast together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold we also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve at fruit loops we're serving up true crime with a side of history society culture and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.